0: the primary reason why the church exists on earth like we talked about last time we've got guys like glenn that are called to go across the ocean and and do stuff in other places but what we really want to focus on and talk about as a local congregation is how to cross the street with the gospel and how to go next door over the fence don't go over the fence that'd be trespassing but go next door right to your neighbor um, because sometimes that, it, it, it's amazing to me how much opportunity we have around us every single day. Like Glenn said, we, you are a missionary. Charles Spurgeon said, uh, if you're a Christian, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And I don't like that saying because it's a little harsh, it's a little strong, it's a little convicting. But he's right if you read your Bible. That's where he gets it from. And that's what we sought to establish last time uh, for our nuts and bolts. I'm dealing with evangelism or witnessing um, as a people that have the gospel, that carry the gospel. And the first thing that we had to establish in order for us to go out and do this thing and to really take it seriously, we need to believe that our Bibles um, have told us, have declared clearly that this is the primary reason we exist. We talked about um, everything that we do when we come together as a church, whether it's you're, you're hearing preaching like this or we're singing songs together or we're praying for each other, like all those things are going to be done better throughout eternity, like better. This is just like a slight shadow of what those things are going to be when we come together. The one thing you won't be able to do again is share the words of life with somebody who desperately needs it. And so this is really why the church exists. And uh, I, I think my family's here. Which is What's up, guys? This is the first time I've seen my family. They just came in from Texas like probably at four in the morning. So um, it, 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 this is kind of interesting. I'll, 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 I'll do my sharing time. He calls yesterday at like one, and he's like, "Dude, like we're at the airport. Uh, we were just taking off, and the engine blew up. Like, like it caught fire. And fire trucks came out, and had to put. And they had to do like emergency brakes to keep from going off the runway. And and it was like, thank you, Lord, that it happened then, when it was on the ground, right? But the bummer for them is that they had to sit in the airport and go through lines of a gazillion people and try to find another flight out here. So I'm glad you made it. I'll talk to you afterward." We are a missional people as the people of God. I know that's kind of a buzzword. I know it's a, a kind of a word that got popular in the early 2000s, missional. I still think it's one of the greatest words we have, a missional people. It, 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 it describes, it implies purpose and meaning and intention and even urgency, like we're on a mission, right? So there should be a little bit of urgency that comes with that, and so what I want to talk about a little bit today is how being a missional people informs and shapes our gospel disposition toward the outsider, toward the believer. There are most definitely things that we are going for at the door as a gospel proclaiming people, and there are definitely things that we are not. So we're going to talk a little bit about strategy and a little bit about method, which I don't think are bad words in the church. We'll go into that. Um, now, what we do know is that the true church of God is made up of believers that do specific things like we do when we gather that are directed to believers. They're not for non-believers; they're for believers, right? Acts two forty-two is where you will basically find that list. We devote ourselves to what we're doing right now, to the apostles' teaching, right, to the scriptures. We devote ourselves to each other. In fellowship, when we come together, we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, communion, and, and to prayer, like you just saw, corporately. And, 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 and then there's the way that we do these things, right? So we have these prescriptions that the church does, and, and then the Bible is actually silent or quiet on the ways that we can actually do these things, which, which is why this morning you could walk into 10 different churches, seeing them do the same things, in a completely different way. They will look completely different from each other because we have, we have room in which we approach these things or carry these things out, which is the method or the mode, okay? And, and, and the method or the mode says a lot about the gathered people towards those that we want to see assimilated or converted, for a better word. Some may say, well, you just said that the church is for and about believers, and, and that's That's true. The gathered church is centered around things that believers do and believers need and that we benefit from, but it's also a testimony to outsiders who stumble in from time to time, right? Or or better yet, who are invited in or welcomed in. Now, many would object that what I'm describing right here maybe is seeker-sensitive or attractional, and I just want to let you guys know before we start that there is good attractional and there is bad attractional. And it's really this simple. Good attractional is, is, is doing things to take people to Jesus. Bad attractional is doing things to take people to themselves or to their church so that it gets bigger and funner and more exciting, right? Right? That's kind of the, dif- the, the difference between the two. So there is good and bad. And some of you might say, well, this is all, this is all good and whatnot, but is it biblical? I'm glad you asked. Yes, it is. It, 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 is, it is biblical. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if, you, if you're familiar with 12, 13, 14, we all, we all kind of like those chapters because they deal with spiritual gifts in the church. And they're kind of funky, and there's a lot of mystery, and there's a lot of debate over what goes on in those chapters. You've got speaking in tongues and just bizarre stuff. But when you get to chapter 14, Paul's mostly talking about the mode in which they do church when the believers gather, and it has to do with tongues. Because in Corinth, it was the crossroads of the world. So you had all kinds of people from all corners of the earth um, emerging in this one place. So people are speaking different languages, even in church services. So we've got known tongues, but I believe, and we're not going to go into this, that he's actually also talking about unknown tongues or what you and I would call prayer language there. And it was a thing that they elevated and made a big deal in their worship services. And and then he goes into like, hey, you guys need to like, you can only do this if you've got someone to interpret and this and that. And, And the reason is because if an unbeliever or an outsider, he says, walks in, and you guys are speaking gibberish, just being a bunch of crazies, like it's not going to do that person any good. Therefore, prophesy, which means to bring forth the the oracles of God in a way that people can actually understand and meet Jesus, right? Rather than come together and, and speak a bunch of weirdness into the air. All right, and so that's basically his conclusion there. Is he being attractional by doing that, by thinking of the outsider, by thinking of the unbeliever who will come into what the church does? Paul's probably right. We're probably wrong, and he's probably right. He, he, he wants us to be mindful of people coming in, even though what we're actually centering everything around are things for believers in the church. Does that make sense? All right, I took way too long on that. Um, in, in, in other words, the way that we do church matters, like Paul thought that. The way that we do church matters. And so we're going to talk missional strategy this morning or gospel disposition. Our text is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know you got your weapons, so get over there. And here's, here's a little bit of the, the backstory here real quick in a nutshell. Paul's always challenged with being compensated monetarily as an apostle. That's really what's going on here, is he's saying, I have every right, as much of a right as anybody, to be monetarily compensated as a gospel carrier, as an apostle, but I do not care. I'm going to preach the gospel anyway. Whether you pay me or do not pay me, I cannot help but preach the gospel. This is our context. All right, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself. It's interesting that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Strategy is a war term, right? Uh, It's the art of handling troops and handling ships to the greatest advantage. And strategy in war is a good thing, not a stupid thing. Strategy is a good thing. Just ask Patton or Eisenhower or King David. I know you'll be able to ask one of those guys someday. I don't know about the other two. But, um, uh, and the way that we set up, like, the door, the way that we look, the way that we love not just each other but the community around us, which is why we're willing to deal with funky things like this. I mean, if someone that didn't know any better walked in here, they'd be like, what are these guys trying to do? You know what I mean? We didn't do this. We do this for the sake of people outside of us, right? The outreaches that we subscribe to, it's all... A part of what might be called strategy it's somewhat tactical it's somewhat calculated it's purposed and if you haven't already noticed our strategy is not to pull christians from the seats of other churches and transplant them into ours that's not what we're trying to do we're not trying to grow by conversion growth and, and i know that god moves pieces around the board at different times and sends people different like, like that's fair game and if you're in a gospel anemic church run like that's fair game We'll take you, okay? But, but, our, but our strategy is, is not to market ourselves to um, the Christian world on social media so that we can say our church is better than yours. Come to ours. Like, we're not trying to do that. We, we really do want to reach people. Um, our wild card is conversion growth. It's sharing the gospel with people. J.D. Greer said if we plant a local church without evangelism, which is what we're doing all the time, Without evangelism, we are simply using new marketing to pull bored Christians from other churches. And he's right. That's exactly what we're doing. This is true. And we hate it. My church is better than yours. My church can beat your church up. You know what I mean? We have a bigger bouncy house. Come to our church. Our rides are faster, you know. And and it's just it's gotten really, really nuts. The strategy that we've determined to imply is one that is set up to win over the dechurched and the unchurched in this area to Jesus, right? Not not, not the presently bored consumeristic Christian. We're not here to be big. We are here to make Jesus big to whosoever will. That's the reason the door exists. So in one form or another, our strategy at the door is all about making gospel connections with the community around us by being a missional, it's a good word, not a bad one, I love it, people, and, and so we have this great confession by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 that gives us a great working template, right? A, pros, a proper gospel disposition, you might say, to aid us in succeeding in this mission. And it can be boiled down to these three things, adjustability, accessibility, and approachability. AAA, triple A, that's an easy one to remember, triple A right there. Did you see what I did? That was clever, because I don't usually do that with my sermons. Um, number one, we must be adjustable. We must be an adjustable people, both individually and corporately, as a local body of believers. If we want to be good missionaries, we must be able and ready to bend and stretch and flex and adjust. We must be spontaneous. We must be expectant. We must be ready In the moment, not just with the gospel itself, but also with our distribution of the gospel. Paul says, to the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one of them. To those outside the law, I became like one of them. To the weak, I became like one of them. I've become all things to all people. what, What does Paul mean by this? It means that he's ready to be who he needs to be for the sake of the gospel at any given time. That's what it means. It's super cool that Paul didn't have one exclusive, like, preferred group of people that he was gunning for with the gospel. It was like anybody and everybody. It was everyone. And, and I would think, like, if I'm Paul, like, I'd be partial to Jews. You know what I mean? To see where he was and what he's come out of, it's like he probably really had a heart for these guys, and it's clear that he did. But not only, not exclusively, And a lot of us do that, right? We only make friends with, we only spend time with, we only partner with people that are like us, that we enjoy, right? It doesn't seem that Paul did that. He wasn't that preferential, that narrow, with the people that he dispensed gospel to. It was many people. Um, Whoever he was around or was in front of him was his target. Think about that for a second. Whoever he was around was his target, his gospel target. Now, I do not believe that this means that Paul had to continually be fake or reinvent himself, right, or put a costume on to try to trick people into a false sense of connection, but simply that he sought to gain a basic understanding of a, the world view of his audience. That's really what we're talking about here, whoever that might be. So this would include a basic knowledge of their thinking, a basic knowledge of their background, a basic knowledge of that which would help him be as effective as possible in leading that person to Christ. Uh, a perfect example of this is, is Paul in Mars Hill. You remember Acts chapter 17. Super famous, right? So he, he comes down from Berea, and uh, he, he's in Athens, and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to show up, right? And so it's, it, it, instead of going like, oh, I think I'll go shopping or get something good to eat or like go, go see the sights. I've always wanted to come to Athens and see the sights. He starts just observing their culture. He starts observing the way that these people live around him. And what he realizes right away is that they're a super religious people, right? So they've got all kinds of trinkets and all kinds of icons and, and altars. And then he ends up seeing this statue even that says on the bottom, to the unknown God, Right? And so Paul, being a good missiologist, decides to to go to an open mic night at the local coffee shop, right, called Mars Hill, like we might do. And he takes this statue to the unknown God and he defines it for him. He puts a, a definition on that God and unpacks the one true God through this God that they had that they didn't even care what it was like. So so he, he kind of uses a strategy there, right? He he actually adjusts. You know what what's also weird? You know what's missing from that? T- if you ever if you read the sermon on Mars Hill from Paul to those guys, which is a pretty rad sermon, there's something missing. Scripture. Like if you look at if you if you look at Peter a lot of times with his sermons in the book of Acts, like he's quoting scripture, he's busting out like, you know, the granddaddy, right? Paul doesn't, sit, he doesn't quote any scripture. You know why? Because those people don't care. The Athenians don't care what scripture says. So instead, he just streamlines it for them by speaking straight up truth. So he doesn't contradict scripture, right? He, he stays in his lane when it comes to the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. But there was, he knew there was no reason for him to go there with these people. Where with Peter, when you see him like, You know, he's usually in front of a a large group of Jews when he's preaching the gospel. Absolutely, he's popping off scripture because they care. Like, again, this is adjustability. It's about strategy, like knowing who is in front of us and what their worldview is and what might be most effective. So so Paul, like, his observation of their culture, like, maximized his gospel opportunity and the way that he dispensed it to them. Pretty cool stuff. Right? So he, he, in a sense, identified with them uh, where they were at. He was perceptive. He had his eyes open. Right, He found a point of interest of, or, or a connection with the native thinking and philosophy in order to introduce them to Jesus. That's pretty rad. He adapted his gospel approach. So Paul was adjustable to those he found himself in front of so that, why? So that by all means, he might win some. Like they need Jesus too. They're not like me, and I don't get them, and they're completely evil, wicked people. Look at how they live. Look at how they worship. But wait, they need Jesus. I'm going to give it to them, right? Um, That he did that implies that he cared. It implies that he had compassion. It implies that he had concern. The text actually says at the beginning as he's standing there waiting for Timothy and Silas, and he looked around at their gods and their idols that, the, that he was provoked in his spirit. We've talked about this before. Our, our biggest problem with evangelizing and witnessing is not that we are inadequate in our ability to speak or our knowledge. It's that we do not love people enough. That's why we don't do it. We don't have enough compassion for people that are not like us. Enemies even. Jesus teaches us, us this straight up over and over again, right? Right? So, so when we have this for all people and we're ready with it, this, this, this um, willingness to adjust in dispensing the gospel, it leads to gospel connection, which by the grace of God leads to conversion. This is the whole point. So, so we're not trying to be like them, but we are trying to understand them and where they're at so that we can use their idols and their lies and their worldviews and their philosophies to ambush them for Jesus. Jesus. That's what Paul did here in Athens. So you want to be a good missiologist in the, com- the community around you, like, identify their idols. Identify, like, what, what means the most to them, what they look to and what they hope in. Seek to gain a basic understanding of the cultural, the general cultural climate in that place with those people. Someone once called this um, going to seminary at the grocery store. Like, this is one of the best ways to know the people that you live around and who live around you is when you are in the checkout line, open your eyes and look to the left. Look at the magazine rack. Look at the images and the people on the front of those magazines. Look at the headlines. Look at the stories. Because that's what everybody around us is putting all themselves into, are the celebrities and everything that we can be, the trends that are going on. Everything's right there. It'll tell you so much about the idols of the people that are around us by just going to, just opening your eyes in a checkout line. You know what I mean? And it's cheaper. Seminary is super expensive, you know? So that's, gosh, you guys are hard today. What's wrong with you today? (laughs) Number two, number one, be ready by being adjustable. Um, By the way, I just, really quick, because we don't have time for this. Another way that we must be adjustable is with our plans, people. Like ha- half the times we're just missing gospel opportunity because we have a schedule. This is how I am. Like here's what I got today. I get up in the morning. I got I got to do, ding 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 ding, and then I put the blinders on so that I make sure I get through like ding 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 ding. And there's always things that God's doing and and people that are coming in and and needs that need to be met. And I'm just like, nope, all business, right? Um, don't do that. Uh, flip that around. God God is always giving us gospel opportunities. Don't be so locked into your own schedule and your own plans that you miss them. Get your priorities right. I need to get my priorities right as I walk through each day. And the priority is that people might be saved. That's the priority. All right. Number two, we must be accessible. This is no doubt another aspect and benefit of what Paul is describing here and being all things to all people, accessibility. This is important for the Christian because especially in today's polarizing, politically fueled, two-party society, the church has, in large part taken a side. And in so doing, we have created and developed a vibe that is directly opposed to affording us gospel connections with people. Does that make sense? It's killed our accessibility, right? We have entered a fight that removes us from accessing all people and from them being able to or even wanting to access us as Christians. Some of us have become really good conservatives but very poor Christians. Some of us have become very good Republicans but very poor ministers of reconciliation. We have in large part canceled sinners which flies in the face of why jesus came in the first place all i had to say is like praise god he didn't cancel me you know what i'm saying praise god he didn't cancel you like he had every reason to when i look back at who i was and how i thought and how i lived and and even my heart towards him i like, like how in the world did he allow me to walk the earth without lightning bolts you know what i'm saying Like, why didn't he crush me? Not only did he not cancel and crush me, he sent his son for me. He died for me. He died for you. We need to get this right, people, as a church. Because we've largely made the gospel out to be a lie by how factionist and contentious we've been with people who don't think like us or vote like us. Jesus would not do that. You're like, oh, here he goes again with that stuff. Again, I'm extremely patriotic. Come to my house sometime. I have memorabilia everywhere. I love Americana. I, I, th- I would never want to be anywhere else other than this country. We need to know the difference between this kingdom, though, and his. And a lot of us don't know it anymore. We've blurred the lines. They're not the same. All right. Shut up, David. In large part, many Christians have become moat- builders instead of bridge builders and Paul would say quit it because it kills our access it kills access so let's talk access intentional engagement would be the obvious but our ability to communicate would certainly be another the words that we use when we talk to people the way that we say it the attitude in which we speak it with How how many of you, besides Glenn, have ever gone to a foreign country where you did not speak the same language as the people that you were having to interact with? If you have, you would know that this is a great big challenge, right? And so what happens is, uh, at least for me, is I start talking louder and slower, right? As though somehow that's going to break the communication barrier, but it doesn't. It doesn't change anything. You're still speaking different languages, you just sound stupider doing it, right? This is what it sounds like when you and I, as Christians, speak Christianese to people. Oh, it makes me cringe sometimes when I hear this. Our silly little phrases, our silly little sayings that they know nothing about. Or or we want to sound really intelligent because everyone has an understanding that if you're Christian, you've just checked your head at the door. You're just a big dummy. Right, And so sometimes we'll go in trying to sound smart and intelligent and we go like heady on people as if everybody's a, a bunch of natural born Bible scholars. right? And it doesn't work that way. Paul, Paul used no scripture here again when he unpacked his gospel to the Athenians. What Paul did in Athens with, with his message was made his message accessible to them by speaking to them on their terms in a way that they could understand it. We can and should speak gospel truth using everyday language. This is one of the reasons we don't use the King James. We'll get asked that sometimes. Why don't you guys use the real Bible? You know what I mean? Why don't you guys use King James? Well, because we, I wasn't born in Middle Earth, and neither were you. You know what I'm saying? Like, we haven't spoke that kind of English in centuries. Why in the world am I going to speak that way to somebody? You know what I mean? This isn't Lord of the Rings. Yeah? No, I want a Bible that kind of like somewhat represents like the way that we actually talk with each other. Our goal is to have people understand the words of life, not baffle them with our intelligence through an unintelligible words. This is even what we attempt to do here as pastors. This may sound a shock, like a shock to you guys, but we're not completely dumb. Thank you, Janet. We're not, comp- we're not completely uneducated even though we are uneducated. Like we have come out of churches where we can spar with Greek and we can spar with Hebrew and we can spar with parsing tenses as good as anybody else. But it doesn't matter anymore. We finally came to a point where it's like this stuff has no value when it comes to bringing the common, normal, everyday person to Jesus. Jesus. Check out what Luther, this is is fantastic, check this out. Luther said this, when I preach, I don't look to the doctors and the magistrates of whom there's about 40 in this church. I have an eye to the many young people, the children, the servants of whom there are more than 2,000, almost as big as the door. I preach to these, addressing myself to their needs. If other people don't want to listen to this approach, they can always walk out. An upright, godly, and true preacher should direct his preaching to the poor, the simple sort of people. When preachers talk to me, they can show off their learning. They will be put to their trumps. In other words, he he can go head-to-head with them too, okay? But to sprinkle Hebrew and Greek and Latin in their public sermons suggests that they are merely showing off. And it's true. I've sat in those churches, and I've tried to be that guy. And that's all I was doing. Merely showing off this not only implies in our preaching it also holds true with sharing the gospel I mean I'm quite certain Jesus could have showed off more than anybody when it came to like higher knowledge and communication like being dignified with his communication skills but but instead we find Jesus to be a master at putting the cookies on the bottom shelf you know what I'm saying like for everybody with, with simple, accessible analogies, metaphors, parables, having to do with everyday things, like fishing, and farming, and weather, and oil, and sheep, right? Almost like he's talking to children. He was a master storyteller, and for what? Accessibility. So that anyone, anywhere could grab hold of what it is he was saying and take it home with them that's why once we've shared with someone we don't want them to walk away impressed with our knowledge and our ability to speak we want them to walk away impressed with Jesus so we make him as accessible as we possibly can when we talk to people right Paul did this not only do we need to be accessible to them well here's the hard part that wasn't the hard part here's the hard part We not only need to be accessible to them, we need to be willing to access them. We need to be willing to access them. Oh, how bad are some of us at this? Some of us have been in those churches or or been told by our parents, like, those are the baddies, and you stay away from the baddies, and we build this nice little fortress where we can all hide, you know, and wait for Jesus to come and get us. Um, No, 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 no. We are to live intentionally. We are to actually, as the people of God, with the gospel of God, go on offense, willing to go where they are, where they are, show up where they congregate. Again, Paul, Mars Hill. Go read it. Uh, Even better, Jesus. John chapter 4, Samaria. We all know this story. I mean, there was a border there that Jews did not cross because those people were so disgusting and so below them. And Jesus walks up to that border with his disciples and then steps over it. And they're like, what are we doing? And he's like, I got, I got things to do, man. And he goes to this well where he finds a Samaritan woman. That's also a no-no. Jewish man, Samaritan woman alone, you just don't do that. You just don't do that, right? And then he gives her real water, right? he he went to places he wasn't supposed to go to people he wasn't supposed to go to to give them something they did not deserve how are we doing right how are we doing um some of you like to go to concerts there's a ton of free concerts right now a lot of you have been hitting them all taking advantage of them what a great place for opportunity for gospel opportunities for rubbing elbows with people you otherwise wouldn't fantastic rodeos some of you go bowling some of you go to races. Me and my wife like uh, garage sales, you know, and we meet a lot of people in the community just by going to garage sales. Campsites, a lot of people recreate and camp at campsites, you know. They're not all, all Christians. Like, whatever it is, like, like, be ready. This is part of the reason why I enjoy my cigars, and I'll go to a place in town that has campfires so that people can stand around and smoke their cigars. Do you know what happens around campfires? It doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. If you're both standing next to a fire and you've got some kind of a common vehicle, you, you, you well get in the car and drive. There will be a conversation. Every single time we've been going there for years and years and years and, and the amount of significant gospel conversations that we have had without even trying, people, without even trying, just because we were there. 85% of us just showing up. Go where they go. Some of you are, are like, gosh, I can't remember the last time I had a gospel opportunity. Well, maybe it's because you're not going where they are. Maybe, that, maybe that's the start. Next time in the series, we'll be talking more about these practicalities with evangelism. So hold off until next time, okay? Bottom line, be accessible, which includes being intentional to access them. That equals opportunity. So be physically accessible as well. Finally, uh, be approachable. We must be approachable. This means act like human beings. No, I'm serious. I, I, I know that sounds funny, but act like human beings. Why do Christians think they have to be weird in order to be His? I'm serious. I don't know what's wrong with us. Like, be be real, not weird. Be real, not weird. Like, be concerned, not strange. Be engaged, not removed. Like, mentally, we are aliens in this world. Right, In that it is not our home, but it doesn't mean we have to look like one. Some of you are flying around in ships. (laughs) It's okay to have personality. It's okay to have character. It's okay to have interests. It's okay for, for us to be good at something. It's okay for us to enjoy things that other people enjoy. It's okay for us to identify as humans among other humans because we are one. We are one. You ever heard the phrase, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? It's a, uh, it's a flawed statement, but at the same time, it's a true one. It's a true one. We must remember that while we're not of this world, what's the other half of that verse? We are still in it. We are still in it. And for what? To engage with other people that are also in it, that are in it. Right, and I'll be honest. Like pastors, oftentimes are the worst at this. You know, like there there seems to be this unspoken dress code for pastors that can be summed up in one word: boring. You know what I mean? Like, bo- like, bo- it, like it, it, it's. I don't know who made it up that we have to look like we work on the forty seventh floor of a high rise on Wall Street in order to be a pastor. I don't know where that came from. Like, like sometimes it's even something as seemingly stupid and insignificant as our presentation that will say to somebody, you're not like me, and I'm not like you. I know it sounds insignificant, but I don't think it completely is. We We can look so professional and so put together and so proper that it can often shut down an interaction long before that interaction even gets started, Right? It's hard to be a good missionary when you're decked out like a professional all the time, right? Like, like, like most pastors are dressed for the pulpit, not the street, not the neighborhood. And, 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 and we'll write it off by saying, well, we're just giving God our best. You know what I mean? Are you? Are you? You'd be in the street if you were. Most pastors I know are dressed for professionalism, not warfare. And we are in a war. We are in a war. Half the evangelistic conversations that I have gotten into are a direct result of something as stupid as the shirt that I am wearing, typically a band. Uh, I really like my music, if you know me, and I'm really picky, and I like advertising it uh, because I'm right and everybody else is wrong, and I, I want to introduce them to good music. So, so I, will, I will wear my shirts. I, I'm glad that a couple of you laughed. I was not being serious, kind of, but not completely. And so, um, so like I, I'll wear like band shirts, you know what I mean? Uh, out in the public, and once in a while, someone will like the same band and be like, three, four, five, five, you know, and then, and then we're like off and running. Like half of my gospel conversations have come from something that has not even anything to do with the gospel, right? Just by being a human being. I've had more gospel opportunities, more gospel conversations, more people willing to talk to me about Jesus because I wear vans and have a couple tattoos and listen to the Ramones, and I'm serious, And I don't recommend, like, get tattoos so that you can be a better evangelist, but you should be listening to the Ramones. (laughs) If you're wearing Christian apparel or uh, or, or, or smothering your car in Christian bumper stickers or decorating your front lawn with Christian yard signs that tell the world hell is hot and they're probably going there, you just might have a good chance of the whole thing having an adverse effect on you. You know what I'm saying? Like the opposite might happen. It might just tell them all that they need to know to make sure that they avoid you at all costs. And in case you were wondering, Christians and spray paint is also off limits. That's a no. Okay? I don't know if you saw this, dude, but me and my wife and my parents were like eating at El Caparel, Like, I don't know, a, month, a couple months ago. And we like came out, and on the side of the pavilion where they ice skate, like it's a nice structure, you know. It's on sun not in fluorescent blue spray paint. Jesus loves you. No, 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 no. Not a good strategy. It's called vandalism. It's not a good tactic. And this dude like went on to, he was like a serial spray painter. Like this dude went on to like tag like a bunch of stuff. And it's like, can we please get this guy? And then I'm thinking like when we get him, can he please not have a door shirt on, right? Like, <laughs> like which, which one of you is it is like what I started to think because some of you guys are crazy, you know. And, um, but, like, but like no, like don't, like, don't, like don't do that. Don't spray paint for Jesus, okay? Don't do it. Especially with like fluorescent blue. It's just weird. Think about ways that you can maximize opportunity rather than lessen it. That's what we're talking about. Maximize rather than lessen. Some people ask why we don't have church in the name or scripture addresses on our apparel and on our logos. That is intentional. That is calculated. I cannot begin to tell you how many times in public, whether it was uh, in a checkout line or in a restaurant or wherever, when I had a door shirt on and people tapped me or came up to me and went, what's the door? Is it a nightclub, is it a, is it a like what, what what is the door? And I get to say like, let me tell you about him, right? If that shirt said church at the bottom underneath the door or had the scripture spelled out, guess how many of those conversations I would have had? Like we're, we're not doing it because we're ashamed of being a church. We're not doing it because we're ashamed to be Christians. We're doing it because we actually want more opportunity to share everything with people. It's on purpose. So get off our backs. (laughs) Think about ways you can maximize opportunity rather than lessen it. Um, Please understand, in closing, like I'm not saying that we should all go out and try to be as cool as we can possibly be so that people will like God. That's, that's not at all what I'm arguing for. I am saying, be you. Be who God has made you. Because he didn't make a mistake. Right? He's taking care of the sin part, but your character, your personality, everything that goes into making you uniquely you, he did it. Stop trying to erase it. Don't be a poser for God. Don't be like the Pharisees. Right? Right? Because because all that their exterior paint job ever did was say, "I'm better than you." That's all it did. When we take when we take down even the basic barriers of Christian virtue signaling by and through our appearance and our presentation, it's amazing what kind of opportunities you might start having. Right? Be approachable, approachable, not polarizing. Jesus teaches this best in how he chose to come I spoke about this a few weeks ago I just want to this worth saying it Isaiah 53 verse 2 crazy Isaiah 53 verse 2 he had no form or majesty that we should look at him no beauty that we should desire him what does that mean I mean we all know that he he could have come due to being God right like, as, ab- as an absolute standout, as an absolute professional, proper, dressed to the nines, clearly in a league of his own, dress code that said, this is what sinlessness looks like. Like, he could have came with that dress code, right? But he didn't. He didn't. He blew minds because he appeared to be your everyday guy, just like everybody else, even though he was completely otherworldly. Completely otherworldly. And everyone around him just like scratched their heads in mystery and curiosity because he didn't lead with the religious leader look of the day. He blew minds everywhere he went because he looked so average. Average. And in doing so, he baffled their perceptions of what someone like him was supposed to look like because what came out of him was so insanely extraordinary. It blew minds. Why did he do it? To win the commoner. To win the nobody. To win the human. So he came like one. When it comes to being approachable, know that you're not going to get points with God for looking weird or being weird. Or trying to go out of your way to appear spiritual in front of people. Or by filling the back of your car with as many... Christian bumper stickers as you possibly can or by speaking Christianese to people or even by praying really obviously or loud in the middle of a crowded restaurant. (laughs) Be real, not weird. That will make you approachable. Be who God has made you. All right. It's helpful to us in our God-given mission on earth to have a disposition of these things Uh, To to approach our mission field every day by intentionally being uh, adjustable, accessible, and approachable. Why? So that by all means, we might save some. This is the name of the game, guys. This is why we exist. This is why we're here, right? At the end of the day, remember this as we look at the table, all right? We got, by the way, it's going to be tight, so I don't know if you guys want to, Try to do some kind of synchronization of, uh, go the same direction is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) But think about this as we come to the table. The only reason that you and I are here and have what we have is because Jesus, God the Son, made himself adjustable, approachable, and accessible. It's the only reason why. And his adjustment wasn't small, it was major. Just go read Philippians chapter 2. Major. What he gave up. To come and be one of us. Why? So that we can have access to him. And he came like he did, like one of us, so that we would actually approach him. Right? That's what this is all about. The table screams this. From Jesus to you and me. Right? So let's be like him. Thank you, Lord, for... uh, challenges. I pray that we would um, have more and more of your son each day as we walk through this earth, that we would absorb and believe more of your word that you have preserved for us and gifted us with. And uh, I pray that we would live with urgency. But most of all, God, We raise hands today and we thank you and we worship you and we praise you because you have finished all things that needed to be finished on our behalf. I thank you that it was your blood and not mine. I thank you that it was your body and not mine. And I thank you that your life was completely sinless, which now allows me to be. We thank you for accomplishing all things for your church, and I pray that we would have hearts to go out and to continue that succession of gift of life through gospel proclamation to other people, even people that don't deserve it, and we ask it in your name. Amen.